A garrison is a safe place where an army gathers. In the same way, the Disability Garrison podcast is a place for the army of disability rights advocates to gather and discuss complex issues. We are unafraid to identify problems in our world and have difficult conversations about them. But we are not just here to complain. We spend our time brainstorming solutions with generals in the disability rights movement. Together, we take action to make positive change and lead the fight for justice and equality. My name is Hallie Carmichael. My name is Michael Murray. This is the Disability Garrison. So I'm going to take us back to July 1990. East and West Germany had only just begun to reunite after the collapse of the Soviet Union. Iraq hadn't invaded Kuwait to start the Gulf War. And the World Wide Web wasn't available until a year later. And lastly, your cell phone was the size of your head in 1990. At this point, restaurants and grocery stores could and did refuse service to those of us with disabilities. Transportation like trains and buses weren't even something that those of us with disabilities could get on or off or utilize regularly. And it was legal to not hire a person with a disability just because of their disability. But thanks to the hard work of grassroots advocates, different organizations throughout the country, and members of Congress, the Americans with Disabilities Act was passed on July 26, 1990. The ADA prohibits discrimination and makes it easier for people with disabilities to have the same opportunities as everyone else. It was a massive victory for the disability rights movement and continues to shape our lives today. But in order for us to fully realize the vision of the Americans with Disabilities Act, we must remain vigilant to ensure that the rights that we've secured remain We also must ensure that the parts of the law that have not been fully implemented, and there are lots of them, move towards implementation. And that's the problem that we want to look at today. The ADA has not been fully realized, even though it's almost 32 years old. How can we ensure that we keep the rights that we have and that we push for greater inclusion so that those of us with disabilities can enjoy the freedoms that we deserve? Holly and I we're blessed to be able to interview Tony Coelho, learn more about his life, and ultimately what led him to become one of the primary authors of the Americans with Disabilities Act. If you haven't listened to the first three episodes where we go through Tony's life, they are a powerful story of what it means to be a disability advocate and how you can make a change in this world. We encourage you to go back and listen to those. Today, we're going to dive into the policy of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And again, we're going to look specifically at how can we ensure that we keep the rights we have under the ADA and push for further inclusion for those of us with disabilities by the full enforcement of the Americans with Disabilities Act. This has been an incredible month of diving into the ADA. Thank you for joining us. Let's jump into the episode. Let's talk about the revolutionary experience that it was for people with disabilities initially and and what we saw, the changes uh, in the first years of the Americans with Disabilities Act. But then we also want to take a look at some of the things that still need to change and some of the the things that have not been realized as part of the Americans with Disabilities Act. I always love that you say this is a living, breathing document. It was never meant to be stale. And I think that as we envision the ADA, it's not just about um, 
what it is being interpreted today, but what is the vision of what we as people with disabilities need? So we're going to take a few different sections, community living, employment and commerce. We're going to take a look at transportation, healthcare, education, and uh, affordable housing. But we're also with the realization that that only scratches the bare surface of all that the ADA has done. And so uh, today we hope to just hit a few of those things and give our listeners a realization of the massive impact that it's had, but also a realization of what is still left to be done. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you talked about people with disabilities needing a seat at that table, whether it's part of the legislative branch and in committees and so forth. Um, and also in the judicial branch and the judges. And so the first topic that um, was just a monumental win for the ADA and people with disabilities was the Olmstead decision that let people, uh, th- that really clearly defined and said, no, uh, people have the right to live in their own communities, uh, to not be institutionalized or shut away um, and, and was huge, wouldn't, wouldn't have happened without the ADA. And so much goes, you'll see just various things that come out that say, oh, because of Olmstead, um, which really was, was because of ADA. Yeah, it wouldn't have happened without the ADA. Yeah, yeah. And now what's happening is that under uh, the current administration, they're further advancing that, basically yes. saying you have a right to live at home and we're going to help out uh, uh, caregivers and they have a seat at the table they never had before. Yeah. Uh, they have yeah. a seat at the table in helping us uh, succeed in what we, uh, as a, in the disability community, need to have done. So yeah. uh, we have the ADA, Homestead, now in fact uh, giving us independence um, and so forth. All that fits, but it started with the ADA. Yeah, and that Justice Department and who they're appointing yes. is is so key. And in fact, in I think it was June of this year, there was a recent case that, that again, similar to Olmstead, um, the Justice Department was able to help a, a gentleman in Maine be able to come out of an institution and live in his own community um, because of, of the ADA, which is this, I don't know if listeners quite understand the impact of this piece of legislation. Like you said, it's the civil rights bill for people with disabilities. Right. I think when people think of the Civil Rights Act, you look at, you know, the, the it protects you against discrimination of sex and race and and national origin and, and religion, but it excludes the word disability. And, and so the ADA was just, just to the right to be able to live in your community, a basic thing you would think is so human and, and American. Yeah. Um, and, 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 People understand that you can go to things that you can actually see, curb cuts, and right. you can go yeah. stuff like that. But yeah. there's so much more. So much. Um, yes. You know, uh, you know, we talked about Greyhound. Uh, Greyhound uh, still was fighting uh, the ADA, and the uh, basically the courts got into it and ruled that they had to comply with the ADA. Um, and the same thing is happening uh, with the internet right now. Yeah. is that uh, there are a uh, pizza company basically said they didn't have to uh, make their you know, internet uh, accessible to people with disabilities. Um, they lost it on the lower court, took it, appealed it to the uh, appellate court. They lost it on the appellate court. Uh, they took it to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court ruled that the appellate court was right. They just wouldn't entertain it. 
So that happened just a year ago in October of last year. And so now what we need is the administration, uh, this administration, to develop the regulations to implement that. Because, you know, and when we did the ADA, we talked about interstate commerce and so forth, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the Internet wasn't there at the time. But interstate commerce is the internet. Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah, you know? yeah. So yeah. for the Supreme Court to rule the way they did, I think is right. Uh, there are other decisions at other courts that r- ruled against us. But basically, this, we know what the Supreme Court has done. And now the administration should go in and issue these regulations uh, to implement that mm-hmm. uh, so that uh, on a, a group that does a study every six months about uh, how the Internet is or is not accessible, their last one that they did said that 98.2%, I'll repeat, 98.2% of websites uh, are not accessible in wow. some way. Yeah. Now, in our, in our day, look, at we just went through COVID. Other folks now know what we go through. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They had to use the internet in order to do finance, to do daily living and so forth. Yeah. Well, that's what we do every day. Yeah. And yeah. so now it shouldn't be difficult to, to go ahead and establish regulations mm-hmm. that say the internet is interstate and, yes. and, and yes. it should be. Now, if we do that here in the United States, and I'm optimistic, the Justice Department's working on regulations right now. HHS is working on it. Um, and I think it's HUD is also working on it. There are about four different agencies that are working on coming up with regulations and so forth. But if we can get that done, think of the impact that that would have, not only here in the United States, but if the Internet becomes accessible, that means worldwide. Yeah. Right? yeah. And so that all of a sudden you've made a change and it's only because of the ADA that this could be possible. And so mm-hmm. when people talk about the ADA, a lot of people talk about curb cuts and housing oh, yeah. and so forth, but yeah. it's much bigger than that. Oh, so yeah. And, and, and if you just take the internet, it's huge yeah. what could <laughs> yes. happen. Yeah. And that we're on the verge. Uh, I know that the White House and others want to get this done. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully we don't get uh, some hiccup that prevents it. But this is exciting. Uh, yeah. That this is on the board and so forth, they, yeah. and they've made the White House has made so many other things besides putting Kim on the Domestic Policy Council. Uh, there are appointments in, in ASL and a lot of different areas with people with disabilities yes. that yeah. are in place. Now, I will tell you that one of our problems with the disability community is that we don't have a bit of people with disabilities that we can get appointed to cabinet posts and so forth. Yeah, right. um, we don't we don't have the bench. And and this time I was supporting uh, Tammy Duckworth for defense secretary. She would have been yeah. fabulous, perfect yeah. and so forth. But not for some other job. Defense secretary, that yeah. means, you know, yeah. and she came in uh, second on that. But that's great. That mm-hmm. is great. We have yeah. somebody like that that is up there. And she's fabulous. And she's fabulous in the Senate. Mm-hmm. But I'd love to see her in, in the defense. Department, the State Department, in a yeah. major role, yeah, um, and so forth. But we need to build that bench, and so the appointments yes. that are being made now in different parts of the federal government, we're building bench. Yeah, yeah. the people now, like Kim, is now with this administration at a later time or another administration will be at the cabinet level. She, right. She's 
at that so situation. And we have other people that we've gotten appointed that will move up and so forth. And I'm working on right now and helping somebody become an assistant secretary for a department. So I don't want to say the name at this point, but it would be the first person at that cabinet level that we've got with a disability. Yeah. And so the, the thing is, is that we need to keep pushing, developing the bench for the courts as the Quello Center is doing, yeah. but we need to do it also for jobs and yeah. in yes. government and getting people with disabilities elected governor, mayor of a city, mm -hmm. on the commission in a city, uh, in the state legislature. We've got to build our bench. Yeah. We've got to build the bench so that we can then, when a government uh, needs to have somebody at the cabinet level, sub-cabinet level, we can say, Joe or Sue or whoever, yeah. they should be considered because they have the ability yeah. and they have the credentials to do it. Yeah. yeah. I know you and I are incredibly passionate about employment. Um, let's talk about what what kind of changes we saw around employment for people with disabilities after the ADA and where are we headed? Well. One of the problems that uh, people in the disability community always tell me, why isn't uh, uh, there, uh, the ADA amended to require uh, uh, people with disabilities to be employed? Well, we're a Civil Rights Act. Yeah. And the Civil Rights Act, uh, we had to have that, right? We can't do anything. Yeah. We're a Civil Rights Act. And basically what it takes is enforcement. I go back to whoever's president, who's ever turned general and so forth. It has to be enforced. And if we have people who believe in the ADA, we can get it enforced. Employment. A lot of, been, a lot of progress has been made. Huge. Uh, we have Homestead, of course, but we can go on to other things where uh, the, the Justice Department has taken on state and city governments yep. and and force them to permit those of us with disabilities to play a role along with everybody else. We also have a situation where the Justice Department can tell private companies that yeah. they can't discriminate and so forth and so Huge. forth. But employment, we're making great progress. Uh, now, uh, we're at a low percentage, right? Right. Uh, so there's a lot of progress that can be made here, but you need to have a justice department that's willing to enforce it. Uh, like you take going back to the internet. Uh, as soon as regulations are adopted, you're going to see companies making their websites accessible without right. a doubt. Right. And, yeah. so forth. Yeah. and I'm on the board of a company that that's what they do. Why did I get on the company? Cause I believe in what they're doing. Right. And, and so the, the ability is there to make the, uh, websites, internet accessible. We need the government to enforce it. We have companies that can do it. And we have, of course, people out there in the disability community who need it and want it. Yeah. So it's all there. And it's stuff that we need to be pushing. What have been the greatest successes in disability employment over the past 10 years that have demonstrated that when you invest in us, those of us with disabilities, when you make the commitment, we deliver? What would you say have you seen that's made you go, yes, that's it? That's taken us from, you know, you. I could ask you in your application if you have epilepsy and throw away your application to now I can't ask, but now we've gone even further and we've got people making commitments. So what kinds of things have you seen that give you hope? Well... I, I go back to like Disability Inn, 
Mm-hmm. Um, it started basically uh, when I was chair of the uh, President's Committee to Hire People with Disabilities. We had a subcommittee on on uh, business, or I can't remember what the t- title was, but then that moved uh, into uh, a different area. We had that group was chaired by the uh, uh, president of the Chamber of Commerce. Um, and so business was accepting it. And now it's Disability N. Now, what is happening there is that uh, Disability N gives a good housekeeping housekeeping seal of approval right. to companies who hire people with disabilities and deal with this. That is huge. huge. And we've never had that before. Right. And so you get something like that going. So major corporations now are willing to hire. Take what Joyce Bender does with Bender Consulting. Yes. Um, she places people in highly skilled, highly paid jobs. Yeah. Uh, uh, and and that's not only in government. She she uh, national security agency. She puts right. uh, two hundred people there and so forth. But corporations uh, yeah. that she has uh, worked with and that they hire people in high paying jobs. Right. Um, and it, it's great. For for instance, we had a situation where uh, a a young man and a young lady both had severe disabilities. Joyce got them. Uh, uh, a place at Highmark, yeah. um, and they in effect started dating. They married. <laughs> they then so could afford a house. They could afford kids. They had two kids. Uh, oh. Afford a car, and they had two kids, and so forth. Great story, right? Oh, I it. mean, it's tremendous. But as a result of Highmark and their attitude about uh, right. placing people with employment, so if you look at it, all these little things are big, right? And they're happening all over. Is it fast enough? No. Is it something we need to keep pushing? Yes. And with a favorable administration, we can make it happen even more aggressively. So um, I I look at these things and realize that, geez, um, we are making progress. Um, And if you look at the totality of what the ADA has done, it's been tremendous. My biggest concern is jobs. Yes. Because if we get a job we then can participate in society like everybody else for five of the last six presidents i have said i do not know another group in society who wants to pay taxes we do (laughs) because (laughs) if we pay taxes that means we have a job yes that means we can buy a house or rent a house or we can have a car or whatever we can get married. We can provide for family. We can do all the things everybody else does. Right. And and that's what a job is. It is so important. Yeah. And so getting progress there, which we've had, slow, but with the right administration, uh, we can make great progress there. Yeah. Can you talk about uh, the hiring that Obama did in the federal government and how that 100,000 initiative, we'd never seen anything like that. And then also maybe talk about your role in Section 503 of the Rehab Act. Well, uh, I met with President Obama early on in his administration, and he wanted to know my story. And I told him my story and why I was so committed and so forth. And then it was interesting. He had, was This was prior to a, a big uh, group they were speaking to in the White House. So he goes from our meeting to the group and he tells my story in front of everybody else. Um, but he he really, and I, I 
um, uh, people in his staff became so uh, important for us. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, Valerie Jarrett, Valerie uh, Jarrett. Is, so who, in my view, um, deserves all the credit that the Obama administration uh, did in the disabilities. And, and uh, I met with, I don't know, Valerie, I don't know how many hundreds of times, uh, but she was really key to all this. And uh, the 100,000 jobs, um, that had never been done before. Never. And, and so you, now you have administrations that, uh, or you have a administration now who is following through on that. Right. Um, and, but if you, when one of the things that I was really uh, felt that could make a huge difference was Section 503. And basically what it does is the Federal Contractors Act and it applies to all federal contractors and subcontractors. And what do I mean by that? It's the people that supply the papers or the pencils or the airplanes or uh, the whatever it is and whatever the federal government uses. And right. people in government, whatever they need in order to function, whatever the government needs to function, there's a federal uh, a contractor or a subcontractor who provides that. Right. And there are requirements that they must meet in order to be a federal contractor or subcontractor. Mm -hmm. So I felt strongly that uh, what we needed to do was to uh, get the administration to, um, in effect, say that you had to enforce it. Because when it was first adopted, it said uh, that federal contract subcontract had to hire people of color, had to hire women, right. and had to hire the disabled. Um, but there was never any definition of what disability was. Right. There wasn't a, a, uh, any data. In other words, where do people live? How many people there are? And so none of that was done. So under Bill Clinton, um, the, the, the task force he set up, when we went about, and I, I've worked on this for 25 years, and that was to get uh, the definition through OMB, which was Huge. difficult. Number two was to get the uh, Census Bureau to ask the question. They wanted to do it every 10 years. And I said, no, no, it has to be done every year because that's it. we're way behind everybody else. So we finally got that done. Then we got the Bureau of Labor Statistics to take all this stuff and provide the, the statistic. And then, of course, we got OMB to, to get the definition. After we did all that, then we had to get a president to go ahead and say that the Contract Act applies to people with disabilities. We have all the data now, and you have to do it. So President Obama, uh, with the help of Valerie and Tom Perez, who was Secretary of Labor, we had a meeting in the White House, um, and Tom had just gotten there, Secretary of Labor, and Valerie was there and several of us from the community, and I made our pitch. And the president turns to Valerie and says, I don't understand why we can't do that, do you? And she said, no, we can't. And he says to Tom, Tom says, of course. So it was yes. After our meeting, Valerie and Tom meet in the White House and talk for an hour and a half or two hours, whatever it was, and bang, it's done. Right. Um, and, it, it, you know, we're talking about thousands, hundreds of thousands of contractors and subcontractors. I am told, I don't know the facts here, but I'm told that in the first year, 460,000 uh, people with disabilities were hired by federal contractors and subcontractors.
years. And you know the details on that more than mm. I do. Wow. And, and so every year that keeps on going. Yes. That's huge. Revolutionary. And, and so um, it's, it's that type of thing that we have to keep looking at. Where can we make a difference? For one of the things that, that I feel is, is uh, uh, strong is that these contractors have to give a report uh, after they get the contract is what they did in regards to disabilities. Right. And there's nothing that requires them to give a report. So a lot of them, they, they say they're going to do it. They do the contract. They never say what they did and didn't do. And so what I'm pushing for now is to say, what is your history in hiring people with disabilities before you get the contract? If you don't have a history, then, what's uh, going on? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then secondly, you have to file a report afterwards or you can be penalized if you don't file a report. Yeah. And we have to get that done. That's something that needs to be done now in order to, to make this thing really aggressive. Yeah. But that will force even more job. And so that's another goal to get done. You know, one of the things that I love about how you just described this, and this is true of any change, is it started with a committee it, or it started smaller and you had to build up all of these blocks. Everybody thinks that it was just that meeting with Valerie and Tom and the president and you, but the reality is, is that you had to have the data. You had to have the statistics. You, had to have people, you know, it was a very, very long yeah. haul to get to there, but, but also you had to have the success of executive order one through five or eight. You had a hundred thousand people hired over five years. So they looked at those successes and they said, okay, now we can build regulations yeah. around how, um, you know, we should do this for federal contractors because it's the largest segment yeah. of the U S population and made a 7% goal as a requirement. But what I love about this is it keeps snowballing. So now you've got governors, you worked with, uh, why don't you talk about your work with uh, with governors in order to increase the employment of people with disabilities? Well, the governor of Delaware, uh, Jack, was a very good friend, and uh, he was chair of the Governors Association. Right. And uh, he was the Democrat. And it was a term for the Democrat. And then the vice chair was a Republican from, I think it was Kansas, I'm not sure, who was also pro-disability. Uh, but they got through a provision to, uh, in effect, say states had to do the same thing. Yeah. And so if you take, if you take the federal government doing their thing, the states doing their thing, and some cities are doing it now yes. as well. So the impact that all the way through, as a result, the ADA uh, had it had required it basically. The then they go ahead and do the executive order. The uh, uh, Obama's then does requirement, and then now you have the governors moving at the same time. Now uh, uh, cities are doing the same thing. The impact of that overall is tremendous, Huge. but it takes time. Yes, and those with disabilities who don't have jobs say, you know, what's going on? Why am I right. not so? But it takes time, and that's yeah. the unfortunate part. Well, and I think the transportation piece is huge too, because you can have a job, but you got to be able to get there. <laughs> You've got to have avenues. And what you had mentioned how Greyhound was against it. I'm sure a lot of um, infrastructure pieces come down to, to funding or money. I mean, um, I hear that in, in my own advocacy for an ADA compliant playground. And, and, um, but there's been a decision on that. 
Yeah, yeah. Saying the playgrounds have to be accessible, it, right? They well, they says that, yeah. but then it's then it's, it's, it's actually info, yeah, yeah that enforcement. But whenever I hear the money excuse, I get so frustrated because it's been thirty-one damn years. Yeah, you, you can't. You can only use the money excuse. Well, when, when we so did long. when we started on this with ADA, Greyhound said, "Well, you know, we don't have the technology to do this and so forth." So we gave them. I don't know if it's fifteen or twenty years, whatever it was. Yeah. We gave them a bunch of years. And my yeah. point to I made to them was that look at. If we pass this law and you're required, there are going to be companies that want to make your buses dance. Yes. Yes. Right? yes. That's right. I said that then. You know, they'll no, but if the law doesn't pass, they're never going to do it. Yeah. Right. But if the yeah. law passes, they realize there's an opportunity here for business. Yeah. And now if you see a bus, it bows down when people <laughs> yeah. get in, you know, yeah. people get up, then it lifts back up. And yeah. Which isn't yeah. just great for people with disabilities. If you've got it's a everybody. shopping cart or you yeah. got you got a bicycle, whatever it is. Well, it's the same thing as curb cut. Yeah, yeah. Who uses a curb cut? Everybody. 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 It's the elderly use it. Right. Men and women who are delivering goods to stores, delivery oh, yes. men and women yeah. use it. It's unfortunately kids use it with their roller skates <laughs> and everything yeah, else, scooters. but that's the way it is. That's what, yeah. what it's all about. Yeah. But it's the Actually same thing here. That, yeah. You have to have the act. I'm curious what your thoughts are on planes. Air travel is kind well, of Well, that's a nice. big issue. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the problem with air, air travel is that people with power chairs in particular. Yeah. Um, and, you know, other disabilities, but the real issue is power chair users. And and you're required then to give up your chair, uh, and they sit you in the plane somewhere, mm -hmm. and your chair goes into luggage. Yeah, and thrown, and thrown into luggage. Yeah, and Sorry. and uh, over fifty percent of them get damaged. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. And when you get to your place where you're going to be, your chair's not there. Yeah. Right. Now, what people don't realize that a power chair is part of your body. Yeah, yeah, right. Yes, especially users with power chairs. Yeah, sure. uh, and you know, all wheelchair users is yeah. part of your body, but yeah. for, especially for power chairs, it's part of your body. So, in effect, the airlines have damaged part of your body. Mm -hmm. People don't yeah. understand that. Yeah. Wow. And so, you get to your your destination to do business or family or whatever it is, part of your body's not there. Yeah. And yeah. so, you have to try to get it fixed. Well, you're not using that part of your body, or you have to try to get someplace else to get that part back for yeah. you. Yeah. It, it's awful what's going on. And now there's, you know, I've been helpful in this area is that we have a group that's really pushing this now, making some progress with some of the airlines that are willing to get engaged. The administration is doing it. And then we got, um, uh, 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 Kelly Buckland, mm -hmm. um, who is a power chair user, uh, we got Kelly Buckland appointed uh, to uh, the assistant to uh, the transportation department uh, on disability and particularly uh, the use of chairs, but all disabilities. Yes, but yes. Kelly is a power chair user. He has been appointed there the first time that's ever happened. Yeah. And so his job is to educate and convince people in the department that then force the airlines and others to provide the service. So I'm optimistic for the first time that something's going to be done. I don't know what, yeah. but something's going to be done. And Kelly's a 
a bird dog. He'll he's going to stay <laughs> at it. Yeah. And he yeah. believes it. And the administration knows what he believes and why he wants to be there. Mm -hmm. And they agreed to it, which is significant. Yeah. And yeah. and I really I you know I love Kelly. His his wife uh, had uh, epilepsy, so I was very involved with both of them in so many cases. Kelly's the perfect example of somebody that should be in government to educate. Mm -hmm. You know, you can have somebody who believes and understands and may have a doctorate in power gel use. Yeah. yeah. But if they're not a user, right. they yeah. really don't know what the problems are. Yeah. yeah. And so Kelly being in that position, we're going to see changes now in airline uh, yeah. industry. And I'm excited about yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it starts with that data, just like it was with yeah. the jobs. We're just now seeing where they have to report wheelchair damage where yeah. before yeah. they didn't have to do that. And so I'm excited for that change. Having Maggie's wheelchair being damaged during air travel, yeah. real, real experience and that lived experience. Like you said, having people in representation who actually have lived experience. Right. Um, and part of that involves being able to vote for those yeah, people. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so, you know, something else that has been massively impacted for people with disabilities is one of our most fundamental rights as a democracy, the right to vote. And for so many of us with disabilities before the ADA, we couldn't even elect uh, the people that we wanted to elect because we couldn't have, we didn't have access to voting. Um, and the ADA had a huge impact. And Tony, we'd love to hear your thoughts on what impact did it have and what impact is still left to be had? Well, the interesting thing is that the disability community uh, prior to the ADA didn't participate in voting uh, because of the barriers to get into a facility. There wasn't uh, the mail-in ballots. There wasn't all that stuff that you could do. And, and then gradually over the years, more and more access for those of us with disabilities to vote. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think if our listeners could walk away with anything, it's the political process is not just about voting. We want you to vote, go vote, but we want you to be involved long before. And if you think that your one or two hours a week doing phone banking doesn't make a difference, you're wrong. It does because it's all of us coming together, doing what we can, donating, contributing, uh, uh, volunteering, being a part of the process in the broader sense that, uh, that creates the movement that creates the kind of action. And Tony has taught us that um, in the disability community. And, and, that, and those lessons have been learned. And I think people will continue to pick them up. Uh, I don't think that it will be unlearned. I don't think we can go, we could go back. I don't think we will go back. I think we will pick it up because we've learned this and we've seen the impact that it's had over the past two uh, campaigns. And I'm excited to see where we go in the future. I'm wondering if you can touch on just a little bit of the, the ADA's impact on ensuring the right to education for children with disabilities and its influence on other education legislation like IDEA. Well, IDEA and other legislation all comes together with the ADA. And, but basically the fight is, is that if you're a public school, uh, you can't be discriminated against somebody with a disability. They have a right to education just like anybody else. Uh, a quick story. I got a call one time from a parent who said that uh, uh, this school was kicking out uh, her daughter because she took too much too much time of the teacher's day. And and so we had to fight that to, to get that corrected. Yeah, well, I know for my own daughter, just being able to access her school building, 
be able to play on a playground. Those, those things didn't exist, but I was able to advocate and, and cite the ADA. And, and so, so thank you so much for your work to make that possible. So she can go to school, she can play with her peers, just like everybody else. Yeah, that's right. Tony, we're coming to the end of our time, and this has been such a robust and beautiful conversation. I wonder if you have any final thoughts for the Disability Garrison listeners and the the army of civil rights advocates that you've been in general for for years and years. Well, the one thing that I'd like to say is that be proud of who you are. Uh, Don't let people knock you down, deny you access, deny you your right to participate just like anybody else. But the most important thing is your self-pride. If you don't believe in yourself and what you should and can do, then people aren't going to give it to you. Uh, so you have to be proud of it. I Look, at, I always say, I thank God for my epilepsy because it made me a stronger, better person. Love right. it. Well, Tony, thank you so much. Um, it has been an honor uh, to, to interview you. Um, and, uh, and we're grateful for all that you've done. At the end of each episode, we always give our listeners three ways that they can make an impact in the world. We give you something that you can do as an individual. We tell you something that you can do that can have a systematic impact that could start to change things on a bigger level. And then we give you an organization that we recommend you donate to that's having an impact on the issue we talked about today. So as Tony, Holly, and I were just talking about, the Americans with Disabilities Act is incredible. But there are still parts of it that have not been fully realized, either because it's not been fully implemented or because we need to remain vigilant to ensure that those of us with disabilities have the rights that we've already secured. So our first action that you can do on an individual level is become aware of your own rights. You have rights under the Americans with Disabilities to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So learn what those rights are, share them with others, ensure that we understand what we deserve under the Americans with Disabilities Act, and know that this is something that you can fight to protect. Second, and this is a more systematic approach that you can have, if you see a violation under the ADA, it's time to speak up and speak out and report it. It's important to know and to file a complaint with the U.S. Department of Justice. These complaints are investigated to ensure that the Americans with Disabilities Act is fully enforced. So again, if your rights have been violated or you see someone's rights being violated and there's a way that you can move towards filing an official complaint that can have a systematic impact, we encourage you to do that. And you can learn exactly how to do that in the websites to follow and how that works on our website, gtindependence.com. Lastly, we want to tell you about an organization that you can join us in supporting. Today, we get to talk about the Coelho Center at Loyola Marymount University and the awesome work that they do there. They have a number of different programs that focus on preparing lawyers to enter into law and political careers, but it also brings marginalized voices into the conversation in a place where they can have a historical impact. They also have a really cool fellows program that looks to mentor students with disabilities to consider legal careers. And ultimately, we wanna see more judges with disabilities because that's how we can see the Americans with Disabilities Act continue to be protected and fully enforced. So we encourage you to join us at GT Independence in donating to the Coelho Center. And so you can check out how to do that at gtindependence.com.
Again, thank you all for being a part of the Disability Garrison. Thank you for joining us for this four-part series with Tony Coelho. And thank you for joining the I Can campaign. It's been a whole lot of fun to have that campaign going and to see how the Americans with Disabilities Act has had an impact on your lives. So from all of us here at the Disability Garrison to all of you out there in the Disability Garrison, thank you. Thank you.